Well, you have your Bible, and we're going to look at um, 1 Peter 3, uh, verses 1 through 7, and we'll continue again over the next two weeks. And uh, as just a recap, because we'll get to that, uh, 1 Peter is giving us a visual of what it means to follow Jesus, and the terms are foreigner and exile. If you follow Jesus in any culture, you do not belong. You don't. Because you belong to Jesus and your allegiance is to him, you have to evaluate. You have to critique the culture in. You have to ask questions. Does what my culture say about, whatever it is, fit in line with the way of Jesus? Because much of what we are experiencing in life is not under the influence of Jesus, but we belong to him. So we live as a foreigner. We live as an exile, which means we're living and following Jesus in a culture that is not. So what does that mean practically? So what we've been looking at over the last few weeks is Peter, the apostle, is giving like real words to real people. They're under Roman rules. So the word of God is that we submit to authority as unto the Lord. That's the way of Jesus. Uh, we submit to authority. That's good. We submit to those who are above us at work or in school. In other words, and write this down if you've missed everything that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, following Jesus does not give us the right to live as rebels. Now, this is a hard pill for American Christians to swallow because we've been swimming in unalienable rights. The First Amendment does not match with the way of Jesus, necessarily. Your right to whatever has to be thought through the filter of the way of Jesus. So the Bible is our authority, not the Magna Carta or the Bill of Rights. We belong to Jesus. You can tell I'm getting heated up. So we are called slaves. We belong to the master, Jesus. And his way is the most important way. And his life is the most important life. And his love is the most important love. So what I'm going to do as a Jesus-loving person is I'm going to submit my life to him and say, God, help me to represent you well. We are careful about how we live our lives. And when we live the way of Jesus, we will encounter suffering. We will. We will. It will cost you. If your faith is not costing you anything, I begin to wonder about the depth of your faith. If no one knows anything about the way of Jesus in the way that we live and move, I begin to wonder, are we pursuing the way of Jesus? I'm not saying you're not a child of God. I'm not saying you're not loved. I'm just wondering if you're diving into the deep end of the pool or if you're committed to the shallow waters. Like, get my ankles wet, Lord Jesus. Just don't reach my thighs. Don't reach my chest. Don't, don't bring your love and your mercy and your mission over my head. I, I want... Shallow waters. So suffering sometimes for the good is the way of Jesus. What's our goal? Write it down. Live in a way that will help people want to follow Jesus. That's why we're here. And First Peter is a guide for us to navigate how that works in the very real world. We live differently so that people will be drawn to follow Jesus as well. So we respect the culture we're in. I'm glad that I have a U.S. passport. It gets me everywhere. Do you know a U.S. passport is like gold around the world? We could get in. 
But my allegiance is to Jesus, and I'm grateful for the place that I live in. Do you see the distinction? We are Jesus' people first. Okay, so now we're going to get to it. We talked about authorities, government. That's kind of okay. We talked about slaves and masters and work. Oh, that's okay. Now let's get really personal and bring on the heat. How does this flesh out in the home? All right, if you're ready for controversy, let's read the Bible. Uh, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6. It's actually not controversial, but it's probably one of the most misunderstood and poorly applied parts of the Bible. So we're going we're gonna to look at it. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Okay, we already don't like this. Can we agree that the Bible can be disruptive? Now, you have to hear the whole message. Take lots of notes. Please, hear everything. It's okay to walk out at the end. Do not walk out in the middle because you have to hear the whole thing. We're going to talk to husbands. But first we're going to talk to wives because that's what Peter does it in order, right? So, and if you're not married, this is so for you. If you're single, this is so for you. If you're a widow, this is so for you. This is actually how we do interpersonal deep relationships. But it's to the husband and wife. All right. Wives, in the same way, submit to your, yourselves to your own husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. This is so disruptive. Gosh, even reading it, right? Okay, let's keep reading, though. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what's right and you do, do not give way to fear. Okay, that is a lot to swallow. Um, so let's talk about a gospel vision of womanhood. What what does the gospel say about a vision for what it means to be a woman? Okay, guys, calm down because we're going to get to you and, and the heat will get hotter, I promise. <laughs> it will get hotter. But as we navigate a conversation like this, please do me a favor. Write down because this is purposely, this is the last passage for our community group discussion guide. And we have some questions for you to walk through to flesh this out. Hear the thoughts, write them down, talk about it. And at the end, I, I want to be honest, some of this is going to bring up some things that are not so exciting in your soul. And I want to invite you to meet with one of our female leaders, meet with one of our male leaders, meet with the people that you know, meet with some people who are older and wiser in the faith. And rather than getting upset, process this together. We learn and grow together. We are disciples to Jesus. Amen? Amen? All right, speak to two elephants in the room. An elephant is something that's huge, and elephants that are in the room right now. First, I'm a guy talking about a gospel vision of womanhood. Oh, that is a challenge, and I get that, so I'm, I'm asking, extend grace. Please, extend grace. Second, a quick reading of this text, and it will sound so outdated and so foreign, and so weird, it will make you at first think, is the Bible relevant? And here's what I would say. I totally get that, because it's a first reading. But what we do with the Bible is we don't skip over it. We don't gloss over it. 
we wrestle with what it says. And we first ask ourselves, what is Peter saying to those churches? What did it mean to them? And then, because it's God's word, what does it mean in our day? How do we see it in light of a very different culture in a different world? And then we have to do the really hard work. This is why community groups are so important. How do we practice this in a way that honors God and, and shows the way of Jesus is the greatest way to live. All right, first we have to look at what's happening in the whole section. What is the entire section about? And here's what it is. Don't swallow and follow the vision and values of your culture. Everything I'm about to say is based on what, what Peter's been saying. Don't just swallow it because it's happening. Don't just follow it because everyone else is. The vision and values of the culture we live in need to be critiqued, thought about, and some of it is in alignment with the way of Jesus, run with it. Some of it is in contrast to the way of Jesus, then we discern it. And so here's what I want to start by saying. This is what this text is not saying, because this has been very poorly understood and applied. This text is not saying, Peter's not comparing the relationship of master and slave to husband and wife. Right before this was, slaves submit to your masters as unto the Lord. And then the next thing he says is, his wives submit to your husband. He is not saying that just like a master has a slave, a husband has a wife. That's not what he's saying. Notice the phrase, in a similar way. In other words, there's order in all relationships. In government, there's the governor and those being governed. In the workforce, there will always be an authority and those under authority. And in the home, there's a connectivity. So a text like this should never be a, a statement where a husband would force his wife to do something. The husband is not the master and the wife is not the slave. That's not what Peter's saying. And it's a misreading of the text, all right? How's that for um, biblical in-your-faceness? Okay, it's not. Second thing, Peter's not sharing how any man treats any woman. Some of you say, like, well, you know, well, well, hold on. He said husbands and wives. His word is to couples in the church that have already committed themselves to follow Jesus and be married, and the two become one flesh. So husband and wives who are committed in a marriage relationship for the long haul, he's like, your relationship to each other matters. This is not a template for school and work and life. Not at all. And on top of that, Peter does not say how to flesh this out particularly. He doesn't give 10 specific examples of what that looks like. Here's why. It's tricky trying to live out your faith in Jesus when you're a, a wife who's married to a husband who's not following Jesus is going to lead to internal conflict. Jesus says this. My husband says that. How do I navigate it? And he's writing to a culture. You have to catch this. Where everything passed through the husband. All material wealth passed from man to man, where in the home, order was kept by the lead male, the grandfather or the father or the oldest uncle. It was all done. So women in their world had very little rights as they do in America today. And 
you want to follow Jesus and represent him well. How do you do that if you're a woman where you have less influence and less power? Now, the big word is we do not live as rebels. That's what we need to remember. So we, we live as righteous people. We honor God in every relationship. And so to take this as a command by guys why you could treat a lady uh, in an un- inappropriate way because the Bible elevates husbands over wives is a misreading of the text, and you need to repent. Straight up. It's chauvinism, and you need to repent of it. It's cultural. It's not biblical. This is not the way of Jesus. And I haven't gotten to the guys yet, so if you think I'm laying it, we'll, we'll keep going. So Peter, the third thing is, is not primarily talking about women's fashion, okay? Okay. They're, they're entire, and here's why I say this. There are entire church groups who've taken this text and say you cannot worship with makeup on or wear earrings at all. My wife grew up in a church like this where the interpretation was, just like the Bible says this, you must do this. And out of deep respect, I say, like, that's probably a misreading of what Peter was intending. So let's get into what this is about. Now that we know what it's not about, let's get into it. All right. Peter's speaking mostly to women who are married to men who are not following Jesus. This is what matters. Notice, wives, in the same way, submit to your own husbands so that if any of them do not, do not believe the word. Now, the word here is the word of Jesus. The word here is code for the good news. So he's speaking primarily to people who are in the church. And these ladies are coming to faith in Jesus, but they're in homes where the husband is not following the way of Jesus. And how do we represent Jesus well? How do you live in a way that your husband wants to love and follow Jesus you help younger ladies who want to follow Jesus. So the husbands don't believe the gospel, and he does a play on words. If your husband doesn't believe the word, capital W, the gospel, you can win him over without words. But by the beauty of your life. Your life lived for Jesus in a culture that's stacked against you. You're submitting to authorities under the Lord. You're living in a way that is love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control. You're resisting the flesh and its passions to always be right. Your godly life, your Holy Spirit-enabled life is going to win possibly your husband over without an argument. So the same principle that he's saying to the other examples, just like we submit to government because we want people to see the way of Jesus, just like, just like slaves and masters in work, we submit to God because we want people to follow Jesus. Peter is not saying that a woman or a wife is anything less than or inferior to her husband. That's not what the text is saying at all. They are both children of God. Male and female. Royal priests, male and female, which is shocking because to be a priest, you had to be a guy in the Jewish faith. And now, sons and daughters, men and women, are royal priests. Oh, you had to be a guy to be the king. Royal priests. Every young lady who's following the way of Jesus and has the Holy Spirit is now equally a child of God 
equally in a holy nation, equally the people of God. So remember, those of you who don't know, how many of you know well your Roman first century history? How many of you nerds out there? Okay, there's a few. I'm, I'm, I geek out on this. I love this stuff. What you need to remember is in their society, the order of the home mattered. Your home life was a big reputation. Part of your honor was what happened in your business and in your home. So, in their culture, everyone worshipped the gods that the father worshipped. Your children would honor the gods that you honored. Your wife would honor the gods that you honored. Your slaves would honor the god or gods that you honored. So in a culture where home order and civility and like, wow, he is a good leader because look, he's leading his family well in work and in worship and in life. Here was the real challenge. Now you have, you have some ladies who are following the way of Jesus and, and their husband is going to worship these other gods. What does she do? How does she... How does she honor Jesus? Peter's clear. Do not give up on the church. Do not give up on Jesus Christ. Do not give up on the word of God. But how, how do you live out your faith? So he's sensitive. Peter's loving and sensitive to say to these ladies, there, there's a pathway. The biggest nugget you need to get here is how you live your life should not be rebellious. Because you know what? For her to go to church and follow Jesus and worship without her husband could be seen as an overt act of rebellion. It could be seen as an act, an act of rebellion against her husband because he doesn't follow this God and you're doing it without him. Again, this is so foreign to us, right? But you have to remember, this is the good news to the real world and the real world they were living in. So he gives some practical advice, and this is where the whole beauty tip thing comes in, right? What about, why is he talking about how they dress? Read it again, verse 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such, such as elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold, jewelry, fine clothes. It should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Okay, so, so he contrasts. There's external and there's internal. What we need to remember is that when a woman went out in their day, finely dressed with makeup and fully adorned, it'd usually be with her husband. So if, if her husband's not following Jesus and she's going to church dressed to the nines with the latest outfit, it could be misunderstood to go out. And there are some cultures in the world today where you go out with your uncle or your husband or your father only if you're a woman. And this is closer to that culture. So she's going dressed up somewhere. And by the way, there's no church buildings. So there's no like 26 West, 26 West. You're going into someone's home. Oh, finely dressed. She's going into that guy's house. It could be misperceived as she's doing something that's inappropriate. Maybe she's cheating on her husband. And, and so his word to the women was be sensible. Worship God. Stay a part of the church, but be sensible, be respectful, don't be rebellious. And whatever you do, don't give the wrong impression to people. And what you could do is win 
your husband and your family over by this peaceable, quiet life. I, I go to church. I'm with God's people. I learn God's word, and I apply it at home. And my husband may see that the transformation in me and what this God called Jesus is doing in me might be something he wants to investigate. Does this make sense? How do you know that this is not usually how this is presented at all? And so we need to, we need to read and study so that we don't butcher the word of God and hurt people. And, and some of you have been hurt, deeply hurt, because someone quoted a text like this how dare you come to church with earrings? How dare you? Who are you? And accuse you of things that you never did from an ancient text that was written to women in a totally different situation. And so we need to be careful because the word of God is powerful in both directions, for good, and it could be used for evil. And we don't want to be those people. So, so notice what he says, verse 5. So in the same way, the holy women of the past who put their hope in God... They used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands. They lived in right relationship, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. Don't misread that in saying that Abraham was the master and Sarah was his slave. Don't misread that. She came under his authority as a man of God. And you are her daughters if you do what's right and you don't give way to fear. So what can we do? What can we do? His word to the ladies is you can't change your external circumstances necessarily. You're living under Roman authority. You're living under Roman rule. You're living under cultural values. You may not have the power to change that, but you have the power by God's spirit to see transformation in your family when you follow the way of Jesus. And you live humbly and peacefully. So the culture is going to focus on the externals. What can you and I do? God looks at the heart. And which is why Peter looks back to Abram and Sarah. An imperfect couple, by the way. And when you read the Genesis account, it seems like Abraham's off a lot. And he's a man of faith. But yet there's a, a beautiful blending of their lives together. And, and Sarah trusts God. God's leading. And in that, she could trust God by saying, God, you brought me to Abraham, and I'm going to lean in on him. All right. I said a lot. Maybe watch or listen to this again so that you don't mishear me. But here's a summary statement that might be helpful. And by the way, I'm free to confess. Uh, this summary statement is not mine. It's by uh, a lady in our church, Taylor, who's very godly and humble and she wrote this summary statement, and it was so good because I send out my notes to people to reflect on it and pray and think. I'm like, I'm cut paste because this is, this is really good. And it summarizes it. Quote, wives, like all believers, submit to authorities when they do not follow Jesus to, to point with our actions to the trustworthiness of God. And that's a big picture statement on what, what, what we're seeing here. That wives, just like all believers... We submit to various authorities. When they don't follow Jesus, why? We want to point with our act. Our life speaks. We want to point to what? I can trust God. Okay, that's the word to the ladies. And by the way, this word is longer to the ladies, not because they need to hear more. It's because they had less power in the culture. And the cultural sway was you follow the worship of your husband. So he gives these pastoral words that are a lot, not because... They needed more knowledge, but they had, to, they had to thread the needle in a more 
delicate way. But he does give a word to the husbands. Because remember, default mode, now if you're a husband and you follow the way of Jesus in their culture, your wife and your kids should. So it's easier for the husband to lead in the faith because he happens to be male. Again, this is not our culture, but this is the culture that the Bible was given in. So it's a shorter word, not because they needed less words. Hear me. Verse 7, 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, in the terms of submitting to authority, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Right, a gospel vision for manhood. Right, same thing. We don't swallow and we don't follow the vision and values of our culture. Right? So our culture has vision and values for what it means to be a man. And what I would say is we need to think about where those came from and where do they align with the way of Jesus? Then we align with them. Where do they conflict with the way of Jesus? We critique them and we say, no, I'm not going to do that even though other people are doing that. That's not in line with the God that I serve. All right, what is it not saying? Let's start there. Peter is not saying men are superior to women. Some would read this and say, well, he just said that. No, he did not. Most commentators agree when he's talking about that the, the, the wife is weaker, it's referring in general, he's using an analogy to biology in that the male is often physically stronger than their wife or women. Not always. But just genetically, oftentimes, you'll see a guy and a lady, and, and the guy can tackle harder. And that's just, so, so, so she's weaker maybe in, that, in biology. She's not naturally as strong as, 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 the, as the man is. But, but notice the point, and we're going to get to that. Peter's not saying husbands can do whatever they want because they're stronger. It's not what he's saying at all. And here's where you need to catch the contrast. Notice again. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs. Don't miss that. Underline that. Circle that. Highlight that. He actually uses a comparison. In biology, it, 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 gen generically speaking, the guy may be stronger than the woman. Oh, in Christ, though, you need to think about your life because you're actually both heirs of salvation. So you, you can't just do whatever you want. I love the New Living Translation here. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I just want you to hear it. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. That's the word of the Lord. In biology, you may be different, and we are different, and we embrace that we are different. God made male and female distinct and different for a reason. This is the gift of God. We should celebrate that. Nothing wrong with that. But when we wrongly interpret it, say that you might be stronger biologically, therefore you are stronger in influence, and you could do whatever you want, and your wife should do whatever you say, is just flat out wrong. And unfortunately, this has been put with a Christian stamp on it in so many homes. And it's hurtful. He's pointing to the culture that they're living in. In their culture, 
women were already seen as lower. And Peter, in what we interpret as like, oh, well, guys get to do, no, no, no. You know what he's actually saying? It's subversive. He's flipping it. Their culture is saying she is lower. He's saying, guys, be careful with your life because that wife that God's given you, not only is she a gift, she is an equal heir. You are living stones together, being built up on the cornerstone of Jesus and the place where the living stones that make up together the presence of God, this is where the Holy Spirit dwells. If you're treating God's daughter in a way that is not honoring, you better watch out. That's what he's saying. Culture says you get to rule over. No, he says be considerate in your husband-wife relationship because this woman is not only a gift, but she is an equal gift of God's grace. And I want us to catch this. He's speaking particularly to husband-wife relationship. Okay? So this is not a statement about all men treating all women everywhere. He's saying to the covenant partner that you have before God, be careful how you live, guys, because you can lead your family closer to the way of Jesus or you can repel your family from the way of Jesus by being domineering and inconsiderate and unloving, all under the auspice of God's made me the authority in my home. And that, is, that may be culturally acceptable, but I would dare say it's biblically heretical. Okay? I will go on record on saying it's wrong, and that is not the, not the way of love. By the way, all of these commands are the way of love. Amen. It's the way of love. Amen. This is not about who's in charge. It's about Jesus submitting himself even to evil Roman authorities for our salvation so he was crucified. It's about Jesus laying down his rights for the good of our life. And this is the kind of leadership we want every guy at 26 West and in every church to embrace. So Peter calls the husbands, write this down, be considerate and respectful. Considerate literally means treat her with understanding. Listen, talk about things, hear her, consider how whatever she says is going to impact your family. Make decisions collaboratively. Be considerate, understand, live with. And then be respectful. In the marriage relationship, the guys don't have the right to shut their wives down because they're the man. You are co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. So I'll state the obvious. Uh, Carmen, I thought she was going to be in here. She's actually serving your children, um, which makes her better than me. I'm, I'm taller than her. If you've seen us stand next to each other, I'm, I'm obviously tall, taller. She's not five foot. She's five foot and one quarter of an inch. Not five, five and a quarter. Uh, now, we had nothing to do with that. I had nothing to do with being born taller or growing taller. Um, I'm louder than her by far. Uh, and I, could, I can argue faster. I just, you know, I could quickly come up with an answer and she takes more time to process it. I speak and then think, she thinks and then speaks. And my wife is gentle and kind. She's loving. She's a great listener. 
don't know why I'm getting choked up. I'm just thinking about my wife and reading my own notes. I'm in love, you know? Um, I'm a talker. I'm an arguer. So the only real times we get in conflict as a couple is because of me. It's not her. She's peaceable. She's filled with the Spirit. But when I get arguing and when I get adamant about something because when I have a thought, it happens to be right, I become, <laughs> I become unkind and opinionated. And it's funny, but it's not funny. I'm glad she's not here because she's probably laughing at me right now. Her family laughs when you cry. Do you ever meet a family like that? Like, I'm crying, and they're like, why are you crying? I'm like, up, teared up. Why are you laughing at me? Anyway, I'm grateful because God has used her in our almost 30 years of marriage to better shape me into the image of Jesus. So, so when the word is to wives and husbands, now mind you, this is narrowly talking about your, your covenant relationship. This doesn't even deal with how we treat and respect people who are not married to us. You would hope that we would be respectful to women who you're not married to. That's common sense. That's loving. That's kind. So how dare anyone treat other people because they're a different gender like you're better than because you are whatever you are. Or you're less than because you are whoever you are. I hope we see the Bible better now. But narrowly, he is saying to husbands and wives, your spouse is a gift to you. You know the whole statement, opposites attract? It's not in the Bible. But it's helpful. Because often, what God will use is bring someone different than you who bears the mark of Jesus to shape you to be more like Jesus. So believe it or not, I am kinder than I used to be. I am... I am more compassionate than I used to be. Uh, I'm more thoughtful than I used to be. And I have a long way to go because I'm still quick to speak and, and slow to listen. But in no way does text like this give me as a husband the right to be bossy or hard-nosed or mean or domineering just because I'm the husband or male. The Bible's teaching actually the opposite. In Christ, both men and women are equally loved, equally valued, equally given the Holy Spirit, equally offered salvation, equally gifted by God to serve. So um, how does it spell out in the real world? I'll just give you our story. If it's not helpful, just nod. Now, Carmen and I make decisions about life. Uh, she brings her perspective. I bring my perspective. And sometimes it's the same, and it's easy. Other times it's not. So we just invite Jesus to speak through each other. We, we submit to each other's wisdom. We don't look for who had the right idea or who made the final call. We, we just look for ways where we will be united. And whether that's a big compromise on my side or a big compromise on her side, in the end, we're looking for the path that we believe because we both belong to Jesus would honor him, right? So when we're looking at giving to someone, we don't talk about it. We think about it, we pray about it, or to give to something, and we'll come back and we'll, at the count of three, give the number. And I can't tell you how many times it's the same exact number. And when in doubt, we go with the higher number. We just agree. Because we think that if the Spirit is generous and God is generous, then if he told you more than he told me, then he was obviously speaking to you. 
So we, we, that's how we, we do it. Uh, now, when we could go either direction, like in our relationship, out of love, she'll like, she'll like, you just, you make the call. And she's happy with that, but it's because of consideration and kindness. It's not because she has to. It's because she actually trusts me. Now, this is two believers. Now, what Peter's writing to are spouses married to people who are not believers. And that's going to be harder to do. It's going to be a real challenge. It's going to be a real struggle. But if you're both following Jesus, you have an advantage. You can unite in Christ. If, if one of you does, you have to be careful about the decisions you make as a Jesus follower. To not, in the end, be rebellious. That's the key. We're submitting because we're not rebels. That's what really matters. And so, um, so yeah, uh, husbands, this is a high calling. That kind of responsibility to, lie, uh, to, to guide and lead and love and represent Jesus should not be a calling card to be dominating or domineering, but actually should freak you out and cause you to get on your knees and pursue Jesus and repent often and seek godly counsel and connect with other guys and learn what this looks like because we're called to love and to care and to cherish and respect and listen and lay down our lives as Christ laid down his life for the church. And, and by the way, the punchline, which I don't have time to articulate, is the word to the husband is, if you don't live this way, God will not answer your prayers. How about that one? Well, Lord, why won't you? Because you won't listen. Well, I don't understand why my life is this way. Look at your life. Why would I bless you when you're treating your spouse this way? When you're treating your kids this way? When you're treating your neighbors this way? When you're treating other people this way? Why, why, why would I bless you? Not that he doesn't love you. Of course he loves you. But out of love, he corrects us. Now, this is quite the strong warning. Would you agree? Yeah. And so here's what we need to know. Our intimacy with Jesus Christ is tied to our relationships with other people. We're wrapping up this section. And it's clear how we live under human authority is tied to how we encounter Jesus Christ. How we deal in the workplace and where God's placed us under people in school or whatever or in the home, all of that impacts. So if some of you are struggling, God, you seem so far, what he's inviting you to is to return to healthy relationships so that you can encounter his presence. So the words of Jesus always ring true, and I'll just leave a quote, and we're going to respond in worship. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives these words. He's talking to a different situation, but it applies. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go, be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So how does this apply? Jesus is talking about how we worship. You're here to worship Jesus, I hope. Okay, and, and Jesus' mindset, our relationship with him is tied to our relationship with people. So if there's brokenness, what's the call? If the call is to worship, but notice the order. 
Jesus says, if you want to worship and encounter in the fullest way, go and make that right. Do as much as you can to live at peace with everybody. Go, be intentional about those people that you've harmed or, or the hurt that you're feeling. Let that be part of your worship. Go, be reconciled with that person. And then, oh, by the way, worship matters. Encountering God matters. But living for God matters. So be reconciled, talk about it, make things right. And so I've got a list of questions, gosh, that I want to throw at you. And then we're going to respond with some singing. But I know I could see, literally see, that this has struck a chord with some who might have been harmed or realized, oh my gosh, what have I been doing? So what we want to do is we want to make space. We have a team of people that pray for you and want to pray with you. So at the end of our gathering, they're just going to hang out at the front. And if something's happened today that you see like, oh, I just want prayer. It's not a counseling session It's not a long debrief. It's a moment to invite the Holy Spirit to begin the process of renewal in your life. So I'd invite you, if you're stirred, to take an act of faith and and be reconciled by inviting someone to pray for you and then go live it out. So just some questions I thought of. Where's their tension in the relationships around you right now? We ought to ask that. Are you following the way of Jesus and how you treat people? Gosh, we really ought to ask that. Are you willing to forgive those who've harmed you? We have, we have to come to grips with the harm that we've experienced and invite God to make us a forgiving people. Uh, will you leave room for the Holy Spirit to bring about a change? These are all sorts of questions that ought to come out, but we, we, we respond to Jesus because frankly, no course or no counselor can set you free. Only Jesus can set you free. And so we, we take courses, we learn. We believe that God works through people and counseling and all that. All that's necessary. But primarily what we need is God to get a hold of our heart and us to come clean before him. And when we do that, he will use the other living stones to build us up and to be the people of God. Um, and if you need help, you're one click away or one conversation away from getting, from getting it. We're committed to seeing your relationships made whole. And we actually have pathways that could be life-giving for you, but you need to take the pathway. You need to invite help. You need to call on your friends, your brothers and sisters, your leaders here. And when you do, you will receive love and grace and mercy and no judgment and no like, I can't believe you did that. No, it's like, okay, here's where we're going to go, by God's grace. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to sing to Jesus because he's worthy of praise, and if you're watching and you're stirred, you can click on the prayer button, and you can already initiate that conversation with someone from our team, but if you're here in the, in the room, I invite you just to receive. So why don't we do this? Well, since we're standing, if you're able to stand, I want you to take your hands and just extend them out or extend them up, whatever you're most comfortable with. But when our arms are crossed, we're saying no. Like physiologically, you're saying stay away. But when my hands are open, it's very vulnerable. And I'm saying, God, God, I, I need you. So Lord, we're inviting you to do what we cannot do, to rescue 
and to save and transform and build us up to be the people of God that as the world is searching for real answers to real problems, God, that they will find rest in you and that you'll somehow use us to be part of the process of them coming into the light as well. God, uh, work in our home life, we pray in Jesus' name. And say it with me.